Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 27 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. With you, as always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. And uh, Wes, um, I think we're kind of tackling some new territory here this week with a system that we haven't, surprisingly, have not touched yet. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. This uh, was kind of your suggestion a little bit, I think, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is... Um, Definitely a favorite of mine and one of my all-time favorite systems. So as I was want to do every day, I always, you know, take my Game Boy to work with me and play over lunch and was sitting there one day thinking like, you know what? We have not done Game Boy yet on this show. 27 episodes in over our one year mark and it hasn't been touched yet and that needs to be fixed. So I was looking through the catalog of everything I've got, which ones were my favorite, which ones I had kind of some good nostalgia for. And uh, yeah, the one that definitely jumped to the top of that list for me was Kirby's Dreamland. Nice, yeah, good call on that. Especially, um, I think just the the Game Boy in general um, tends to get overlooked a little bit when we're looking at you know uh, retro type stuff. Um, I mean, obviously the the hardware itself has had a bit of a renaissance in the last few years, except especially with like chiptune music, musicians and stuff like that. But uh, you know, to, to sit down and really analyze a lot of the games. Um, there's not a lot of stuff out there. Right. Cool. So I'm, I'm glad to, to jump in on this because there's a lot of games that on the Game Boy that I have nostalgia for, and there's some that uh, that I don't. So. Yeah, and it's, it, I mean, it's a topic, you know, as far as the console goes, like, that I'm kind of surprised we haven't gotten into it yet. I mean, because the library for the thing is just enormous. Yeah. Uh, it had such a long lifespan in terms of, most other game systems you see like a lot of the consoles typically run their you know about five year span or so and Mm -hmm. usually you can kind of see at least with the nintendo stuff there's kind of like the one handheld that runs tangent tangential to each console like you know your game boy and your advance and your uh you know gamecube were kind of running hand in hand and things like that but the game boy itself kind of spanned two systems in a lot of ways like it wasn't out at the beginning of the nes but it definitely made it all the way through the Super Nintendo life. So it's been around forever, uh, over 800 some titles for it. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just tons to talk about here. So oh, topic, You're topic exactly I right. definitely plan on bringing up again. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, I got my Game Boy in 89 uh, for Christmas. 
and I got, you know, Tetris came with it and uh, Castlevania Adventure. And I think I got baseball as well and probably Super Mario Land. So like, you know, I was, I was all in from the beginning, but um, you know, a few years later, I kind of just put it away for a little while and I was bigger into uh, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and a lot of fighters. But it's interesting then that, you know, the Game Boy, especially around 97 or 98, when the Pokemon craze hit, I mean, the Game Boy got a second life from that. So it's, it's weird to me to think about the fact that, like, I was in probably seventh or eighth grade when the Game Boy came out. And by the time Pokemon came out, I was in college, you mm-hmm. know. So for a system to last that long um, is just kind of crazy to me. I mean, right. I guess obviously with it being a handheld, it's a little bit different, but um, just kind of mind-blowing when you look at it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there were little variations and iterations of it here and there. Like we had the Game Boy Pocket, the Game Boy Color. Um, but Play it loud Game Boy series. Yeah, and but I don't feel like any of those really changed the hardware. Like, no, no, uh, it's not like when we went from the DS to the 3DS, like, or anything like that. Like, Game Boy to Game Boy Pocket to Game Boy Color, like, all kind of the same thing. Um, I would argue the color is a little bit different, but uh, it, there were some games that came out for it that were definitely unique, and I honestly like that's kind of where I stopped. Like, I. I still own my original Game Boy. I love playing it. And I've grabbed a couple of color games over the years, but very, very few. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't on the market very long. I mean, really, if you think about it, that's the true. Color was kind of a stopgap. I, I got one in college because Super Mario Deluxe was, was coming out for that was the big launch title. And I played that. And then, um, you know, by the time I was done with that, it was like, oh, the Game Boy Advance is on the way, you know, coming up pretty soon in a couple of years. So I got into that, but, you know, recently, I mean, the last few years I've gotten, you know, some Game Boy Color games, some of the Dragon Warriors and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it just wasn't around very long for me to pay attention to. But again, and we'll get into this more when we cover more Game Boy games. But for me, I didn't really play a lot of Game Boy stuff later on in the in the system's lifespan because, you know, PlayStation was was getting big and, uh, you know, a lot of fighting games and RPGs and stuff like that. So. I kind of looked at the Game Boy at that point as like slightly antiquated. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of good on that. And then recently, in you know, recent years, then looking back on it, it's like, well, I missed out on some games, and I'm going to go back and and kind of reexamine them. So it's been fun. Yeah, I love the portability of it. Obviously, I've always been a big handheld fan. Um, I love just the simplicity of it. If that's something that hasn't come through over over a year of this podcast, it's like. I love those games that I can sit down and kind of in a single sitting play through and just really learn and master. And that's part of why I just love this system is that it's the perfect system for that. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, we're here to talk Kirby so we can talk uh, a little bit of nostalgia for Kirby's Dreamland and where it all started. Uh, Japan release in April of 92. North America got it August of the same year. And actually the PAL version was couple days later so 1992 we were all hitting this game japan had it just you know half a year earlier Mm. um it was developed by hal laboratories and published by nintendo uh and kind of came out of the blue like it's it's weird to think that you know as integral as kirby is to modern gaming convention like everybody had to start somewhere and so i remember when this game came out and just thinking like who the hell is this white little puffball (laughs) yeah um 
but yeah, we talk some nostalgia. So Wes, why don't you go first? What's your early memories of Kirby's Dreamland? Well, this is going to blow your mind, but uh, I actually didn't play Kirby's Dreamland until a few years ago. Really? Yeah, I never actually played this uh, when it came out. Like I said, '92, I was I was big into Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, and and so I really didn't give Kirby much of a a shot. Like I kind of knew of it, but you know, it, it wasn't until playing Super Smash Brothers Melee on the GameCube that you know, kind of okay, here's Kirby, and I I kind of knew of. Kirby's Adventure and some of the other games that were out, I just never played any of them at the time because I guess to me, they look too simplistic, too childlike almost. And I kind of grown past that at that point. So, um, but once I got into Smash Brothers, obviously, you know, there's a ton of of history and nostalgia packed into that game with the characters. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'll kind of check this out. uh, But I didn't really get into Kirby's Dreamland until I picked it up on the 3DS a couple of years ago. They had a uh, eShop sale and I picked up Dreamline one and two. I think they were like dollar ninety nine a piece or something like that. So hmm. uh, that was the first time I played those. And same with Kirby's Adventure. Um, I only played that for the first time in twenty thirteen. I think it was okay. So, um, but I played some of the other ones. I played um, Planet Robobot in the last couple of years. That was really good. Played a little bit of um, the Super Nintendo one. Can't think of it off the top of my head. The one that's got multiple games in it. Um, and a couple other ones here and there, but Dreamland and Dreamland Two, I I never really played until recently, so I don't have a whole lot of nostalgia for this game. Okay, uh, yeah, I discovered it for the first time in '92, uh, and it was actually before the U.S. release came out. Uh, this was probably like my first exposure to any foreign game, and it's kind of what opened my eyes to the fact that there was even a foreign market. Really? Uh, yeah, and. I think I was in fourth grade and one of my best friends at the time was uh, his parents were born in Japan and he moved over here. Actually, I, maybe he was born there too and moved over here when he was really young, but uh, he still went to Japan, you know, a couple of times a year to visit family and with his parents and a couple of times he would go, he'd come back and bring, you know, stuff from over there. Nice. And yeah, one time he came back and he had, a whole handful of games that he brought. Like he had a Nobunaga's ambition for NES, like all in Japanese Mm. and um, a couple Ultraman and Godzilla NES titles. But then he also had this Kirby's dreamland game for game boy. And I remember him playing this and I'm just thinking like, what the hell is this? Like Japanese people are weird. Like (laughs) this this weird little like white puff ball. That's swallowing enemies and spitting them out or inhaling them and he can like fly but then all these we- he's fighting some you know boxer penguin like i had no idea what the hell was going on mm-hmm. um but he was playing it having just a great time with it so i asked him if i could borrow it and because the systems were you know not region locked right uh, i could still play it on my game boy and just thought like this was the most fun and addicting thing i had ever played mm-hmm. And it was so simple. And obviously, you know, if you're just playing on the, the regular mode, like it's very easy yeah. and short. And, but there was like still a depth and a complexity to it because there are lots of uh, alternate paths. Like once you get into stage two, you know, Castle Low, 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 like there's lots of branching corridors. Um, there's secret entrances in certain places and hidden areas and just lots of power ups. And it just, it it really kind of got my imagination going and I thought like, man, there's a lot to this game. And so 
I remember being really jealous of the fact that he was able to get it and I couldn't until a few months later, Nintendo Power started talking about it and I heard we were getting it too. And I got very excited and pretty much bought it immediately or got it maybe for Christmas that year, but it didn't take long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've owned the cart ever since and it's still one that I go back to probably once or twice a year and play through. Because, um, right. yeah, it's just, it's very easy. It's very simple. It's very fun, but it just, adorably charming in this cute lovable little way and so yeah it's it's an odd game for somebody who hasn't played and i could definitely understand why it might turn somebody off like kind of like we were you were saying like yeah it's just a little too maybe childish for me or i was kind of past that like everything you said makes perfect sense to me yeah um, it just i mean at the time you got to figure 92 i mean we're we're deep into the 16-bit era at this point so i i had just I kind of moved on from, you know, 8-bit stuff for a little while, and, right. you know, but nothing against it. It's just, that's just, oh, how, sure. you know, I mean, my friends and I played fighting games. We played, you know, Super NES and Genesis and occasional NES. So, well, and that was an era too, where, you know, the idea of air quotes, retro gaming wasn't a thing yet because well, it yeah, was, gaming was Atari at that point. You yeah. Know? It wasn't old enough to be retro. Yeah. So, we were very much caught up in whatever the new fancy thing is. Of course we want that. Yeah. And every, any new technology, any new system, we, we wanted it. We were sold on it. We were hooked immediately. And I think that, you know, I started to notice the difference once, you know, and not immediately when the N64 and PlayStation came out, but kind of by the time GameCube and PS2 started coming around that there was a, a, a movement of people who were like, yeah, this is starting to get a little bit too far from what I'm used to and what I like. And that's when I started noticing that first kind of push back to older stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, nobody was like looking at this game in 1992 and saying, you know, oh, oh yeah, let's stick with the older style. Like, yeah, let's, of course, let's move on to fancier graphics and color. You know, that's another big thing. Like yeah. it's a black and white game in 92 where, yeah, it's it was definitely moving past this. Sure. Yeah. But I think if if we look at it from a technical standpoint, too, though, um, I think it's really amazing what they were able to pull off on the Game Boy, of all things, because um, for me, I think that's another reason that after, you know, the first year or two of the Game Boy, I kind of put it aside for a while because the original Game Boy is just it's really hard to play a lot of, of fast scrolling games on because the, the screen refresh rate is, is very um blurry i guess um absolutely yeah so if like fast movement and stuff it's really not fun to to play that and not to say i mean really from a technical standpoint this game does scroll a little bit slower the graphics are are a lot more detailed and and bigger sprites and things like that but you know at the time i the game boy for me was mostly um you know for like tetris and castlevania adventure and stuff like that but even like super mario land the first one was was hard to play because it was the the pixels were so small and everything scrolled so fast and it just kind of blurred so right um you know it wasn't until the game boy color came out and even the game boy advance that brought sort of more of the original game boy games back into the light a little bit because they were easier to play on newer hardware because the screens were better um you know the scrolling was a little bit better so yeah and i you know i'm 100 percent on board with you there and it's one of those things where I hate to say anything negative about the old 
hardware that we love, but it's, it's very true. And yeah, nothing against it. I mean, that's, you know, it was, it was done the way it was to, to have a, a affordable portable gaming system. And I get that, um, you know, and I'm just glad that later hardware revisions kind of corrected those issues. Right. And, and I will always love my original gray brick game boy. Um, those things are tanks. I mean, you know, yeah, but the, it's very true that it's, it's hard to play. Yeah. And the biggest thing that it had going for it was portability. Like, hey, I could finally play Nintendo in the car on the way to grandma's house, which right. I couldn't do with my NES. And so, you know, that was a big selling point. And, um, you know, the, the games were always somewhat subpar to what the NES offered. And I think that that was one of the things that, you know, this was kind of a breath of fresh air because we didn't have, I guess the better way to put that is, Kirby's Dreamland wasn't a Game Boy port of an NES game. Like Super Mario Land was like, yeah, we have Mario Brothers and this is kind of like a crappier version of it, you know, or Mega Man and Dr. Wily's Revenge, like great game, but obviously a smaller version of what, mm-hmm. you know, Mega Man is. This right. was one of the first games where it's like, this is an original title and it's a fully fleshed out idea. It's full of content and it, it works. So, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I do agree that some of the newer hardware piece, you know, parts like being able to play it on Game Boy Advance or whatever is is a nice touch because yeah, especially I mean, primarily now I I use a, a Game Boy Color and I just recently got a, a backlit modded um, uh, original Game Boy Advance. So those two are kind of my primary ways to play Game Boy now because especially like I mean if you're outside or you know in the uh, somewhere where it's really bright, the Game Boy Color screen I think is is really nice for original games because it just it makes them look really really sharp. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, so it's been fun to kind of rediscover those. And the nice thing is, um, you know, from a collectability standpoint, Game Boy games are not very expensive at all. I mean, not at all. Titles that are are going to be super expensive, of course, but for the most part, um, not a lot of people are paying attention to them, which is cool. Um, with the original Game Boy, it's Piracy is not that much of an issue, but once you get to the Game Boy Advance, it's really tough because there's a ton of fakes out there. Yeah. You know, which kind of makes it tough. But, you know, the nice thing is the the entry level for original Game Boy is still pretty low, which is cool. Right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what Kirby's all about. Um, for those of you who are only peripherally aware of this game, but no Kirby, um, this was its bare bones, you know, origins. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of the things that we kind of know about Kirby in terms of his ability to, you know, in, inhale enemies and swallow them and gain their abilities. Like, yeah, it really didn't exist yet. Um, yeah. And that, that kind of threw me off the first time I played this a few years ago. Cause you know, like I said, I, I kind of went into it expecting to inhale the enemies and press down and, and get their power. And all of a sudden I couldn't do that. I was like, yeah, weird. Yeah. You can still inhale them. You still uh, suck them in and you can swallow them, but there's no, power gaining so that's it's it's an adjustment um mm-hmm. although as i saw in some posts like it doesn't matter because he's still ridiculously overpowered yeah. and you know you can press up to make him inflate and then when he kind of exhales he'll spit the little air that he had in his mouth out and mm-hmm. that in and of itself is a weapon and a projectile so you have unlimited ammo in that sense yeah um there's only one or two enemies in the game that i found that you can't inhale Hmm. obviously the bosses and sub bosses, but there's like one little 
looks like a bulldog's face that's flying that when you try to inhale him, he just gets pissed off and explodes on you. Oh yeah. But, yeah. but you can shoot him with the, uh, with the air though. And blow yeah. Him you, up. you can still get rid of them, but it's like, yeah. that's the only thing that you can't just walk up to and swallow. Whereas <laughs> the fact that you can do that to every other thing in the game, I guess, other than those like spike balls that fly around means you're pretty much unstoppable. Yeah. Um, playing the game on the regular difficulty mode is, you know, very easy because mm-hmm. yeah, there's just, there's just no, no, nothing to it really. Um, so yeah, Kirby Kirby's very powerful, but he does not have, you know, your beams and your sabers and all your other stuff that, you know, he kind of grows into later. Um, but otherwise it's still got the same charm. There's a lot of characters that you're going to see in this that, you know, are in the others. Uh, King DDD is the main, main villain. Um, who he makes an appearance again in Kirby's Adventure and a couple of the others. Um, some of the other sub-bosses are ones that you're going to know uh, from... Especially the tree, right? Because the tree is in, like, every Kirby game, isn't it? Yeah, he's at the beginning of... Or at the end of the first stage, the Wispy Woods, I think is his name or something. Like, yeah. He's everywhere, and... Um, Which is cool. I mean, that's that's cool that, like, he shows up in in other games you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like if you ever played any dynasty warriors game like you always fight the yellow turban rebellion for the first level okay funny. so yeah stage four has uh, a boss named Krako, which is kind of a big cloud with spikes sticking out of it and a giant mm-hmm. eyeball like he's in a lot of kirby games yep and i think my favorite one is the one that i posted on um facebook earlier this week but stage two you're going against in this case, they're called Lolo Lo and La La La, but um, later shortened their names to Lolo and La La. So, Adventure yeah. of Lolo, here's where he came from. Yeah. And that's what's cool, too, especially if you, you kind of dig into the history of this, um, you know, being a program by Hal, um, you know, that, that was kind of cool that they kind of threw their own characters in here, too. Right. And especially if you get into like the history of like Satoru Iwata. Um, being a huge part of how and kind of fostering that that those games into fruition it's it's really cool to see i was kind of like seeing especially some of these more obscure companies that put their characters in their later games like as far as like easter eggs and stuff like that um i just think that's pretty cool yeah you know yeah and a little bit of trivia that i found for kind of the character design of a lot of this because it's got just such a crazy kind of cartoony atmosphere uh, according to internet, the original character of Kirby was, it was just a dummy character. Mm-hmm. The devel- yeah. The developers were only using it till they kind of came up with a better one, but they just kind of fell in love with him and he stuck. So they just said, you know what, let's just keep him. <laughs> but- right. Exactly. So I thought it was cool. Speaking of, of the development though, um, that uh, the, the main designer slash programmer Masahiro Sakurai who would later go on to develop the Smash Brothers games. Um, from what I understand, this is the first game that he directed, and he uh, directed and, and created this game when he was 19 years old. Which is, Really? Yeah, it's crazy to me. Um, you know, kind of blows your mind a little bit. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I don't know. Any other history like that that you found? You're always good at finding the, the fun trivia and bits uh, like that. Let me think. The one of the other things I ran across was the, and obviously probably for black and white is probably a little different, but um, on the box art, you know, uh, this, I think this is the only game that that Kirby is just like he has no color to him, like it's just right, just a a white color character, 
and it wasn't until later games that you know he was actually pink. So that yeah, was... that that came. Yeah, the, the first game after this was when he started getting that color to him. Yeah, although I, I found it really funny that in the like, if you play this on a Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance, where they kind of add that slight bit of colorization, mm-hmm. he's pink there. Okay, so they've kind of ret- be the same on the Super Game Boy then. Probably, um, but yeah, I think that was kind of a retro retrofitted idea. But yeah, to yeah. to see him as just an all white puffball is yeah. Kind of funny. Um, the only other thing I kind of ran across was just and like I kind of mentioned earlier, um, from a technical standpoint, this game was sort of created to slow scrolling, uh, scroll slowly. Jeez, sorry, I've been drinking, um, <laughs> but uh, it totally makes sense. I mean. Um, you know, it's even on a on an original Game Boy. I don't think this game is too bad as far as um, playability. You know, because it was kind of programmed with those limitations in mind, in a way. Yeah. So I just found a little article here that says during the development of what was then referred to as Twinkie uh, Popopo, uh-huh. um, his color had not been decided on, and uh, Miyamoto felt that he should be yellow. Eventually, Nintendo decided to make him pink. Um, and although pink is still his main color, later games have used a yellow Kirby to represent the second player in multiplayer. Okay. And right. when Kirby of the Stars was first released in Japan, it featured Kirby as being pink. However, Nintendo of America designed the North American box art and advertisements with white Kirby based on the game's grayscale visuals. So in Japan, he was pink. Okay. It was just the kind of... In a way, screwing up then. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. That's not surprising. Nah. <laughs> you know, and again, assuming you trust Wikipedia, but... Eh, I don't know. I think they did more research than we did, so I'll, I'll trust them. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, this franchise went a lot of different directions after this game. Um, mm. The, the okay. Dreamland name kind of continued with, you know, Kirby's Dreamland 2 on Game Boy as well, Kirby's Dreamland 3 for Super Nintendo, um, Kirby's Adventure for the NES, which was honestly very similar to this just kind of added a, a few different elements um the the main dreamland series was also very similar although it kind of added the idea of having like friends and companions and animals that you could ride on yeah um, I, I saw that in two it kind of reminded me of uh adventure island two at that point yeah a little bit uh that's a big part of kirby's dreamland three okay is the animal mm-hmm. idea um, and then, yeah, like you said, for Super Nintendo, you played the Kirby Superstars. Is that? Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but even beyond that, there were tons of different car- or Kirby games, and I think he just became such a such a perfect iconic like mascot. Yeah, oh. you know, we had Kirby's Avalanche. Kirby uh, was it? There Dark was a Kirby. Yeah, well, one. there was a Kirby Golf too. There was oh. a Kirby pinball game for Game Boy. Like he was just kind of everywhere for a while there and i don't think he really got solidified as you know the the character that everybody knows and loves until smash brothers is when people really kind of oh yeah just yeah. take a notice but um it's interesting though i mean if you really if you look at um the kirby series there's so many different variations on you know the gameplay itself which is cool yeah yeah i started playing um uh, kirby Kirby 64 crystal shards a little bit just to see what that was like. Mm-hmm. And it also very, very strongly plays like, like this does. Okay. Um, it's 
you know, 60 and 64. So everything's like 3d, but it's one of those where it was kind of 3d for the sake of being 3d, but you're on a two dimensional rail path. It's just like the, the three dimensional graphics kind of move around you, but you, you can't move, you know, forward, back, left, right. You can only move left and right and jump. Hmm. Um, so, but the, and all the controls are still very much the same, like yeah. inhaling, inhaling and gaining powers and all that. But so play um uh kirby canvas curse on the ds that was kind of interesting because you had to draw the um like the paths for kirby to to kind of roll on so you had to um draw your way over like pits and things like that and then uh uh what was the one on the wii u was uh was it canvas curse i think it was i played that not familiar with that one that one so uh, but th- those are different because they're i mean you just primarily play with the stylus and just kind of draw the you know the platforms which is kind of cool but um i really enjoyed uh planet robobot on the 3ds that was a lot of fun mm-hmm. if you haven't played that one that was good because it's kind of your traditional side scrolling kirby but then you know like every part of in certain parts of the level you get this um this mech suit and then all of a sudden then you absorb the enemy powers and then all of a sudden you've got like flamethrowers and guns and stuff like that it was pretty fun huh so. yeah and you know i guess another thing that has always kind of charmed me about this game is the humor. Like it's so simple and weird to think about that this, you know, simple little 2d game boy game is w- even with no text in it at all is hilarious. Yeah. Um, Kirby's just kind of a funny, cute little character, but he, um, I don't know. Every time you finish a level, like somehow he splits into three Kirby's and does this ridiculous little dance. Um, mm-hmm. Every entry or stage start screen. He, gets in some little situation and it's always funny yeah. and my favorite was always as soon as you beat the game like he kicks king ddd out of the castle and kind of flies through the uh or the roof of the castle inflates himself to a giant hot air balloon size and floats away yeah <laughs> like, so bizarre. like why i don't know <laughs> i don't know why not <laughs> and these oh, are the makes sense. These are the things that you know fourth grade me was seeing when my friend brought this back from Japan, and I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> That's crazy. I'm kind of jealous though that you got to play this like back in the day though, because mm-hmm. uh, especially to you know to kind of have um, sort of a, a one up, so to say, on on everyone else that you got to kind of play an import version before anybody else, and even in the early '90s when that was like extremely difficult for the average person to uh to experience so that's pretty cool yeah it's, it was pretty fun and like i said it was my first first ever exposure to that sort of thing and yeah kind of opened my eyes to the fact that it's like wait why why would other countries versions of the games be different than ours like obviously the language is different but well we had no clue back then i mean you yeah. know so yeah every every now and rediscovering these things too you know see it from a different perspective right right yeah, every now and then you'd see like a you know magazine article or something that would hint at some game overseas, but yeah, yeah, the big one being uh, Nintendo Power talking about Dragon Quest three. You know when the uh, the lines were just crazy and like people missed work and school and stuff like that. And, you know, I remember reading that going, "Wow, this is going to be awesome!" And then it was like you know three four years later, and then it came out. And by the time it came out, then I would I had moved on. So too bad. But different strokes for different folks, I guess. Yep. Okay. So, with this being something that you kind of discovered fairly recently, like, what did you think? Give me, give me your impressions. And yeah. Um. So the 
the normal mode is was obviously super super easy um you know cleared it pretty quickly without much challenge and i enjoyed it you know for what it was it was kind of fun it's like okay this is one i haven't played before but uh then i thought well i'll just try the i'll try the hard mode and see how that is you know probably not going to be much different and i was really surprised how difficult it actually was yeah uh, i mean as far as um you know from a, a gameplay standpoint i thought okay now we're talking like it gets tough because not only are there more enemies in a lot of different places but um you know like when you get hit in this game you don't really have that much of an invincibility buffer you know like some games you might have a couple of seconds to regroup and you don't really have that in this game so especially some of the bosses on the hard difficulty they're they're quick to to just kind of jump down and and punish you real quick and so if you're not on your game um the hard mode is actually really difficult in this game but the more i played it the more i enjoyed it and then once i beat the hard mode and kind of went through it again a couple more times on that difficulty i was like yeah this is a lot of fun now i'm getting the hang of this you know and right. you know you can get down to beat it in about you know 15 20 minutes if you get really good at it so that was cool uh, my only complaint is the being able to press up to kind of float up into the air because i tend to do that a lot by mistake okay and i don't know if it's just because i'm just not used to it but um it's kind of odd, especially on the hard difficulty, because I tend to make a lot of mistakes when I mistakenly float up in the air. And I thought, well, maybe that could have been solved by just, you know, tapping A to float up. And I know you can do that, but you have to press up first to kind of go up into the air. And I, that was my only really complaint gameplay wise, is that um, I kind of wish that that wasn't there. But then once I got used to it, it wasn't so bad. Right. But otherwise, I enjoyed it. I mean, um, like I said, I don't have a lot of nostalgia for it, but it was definitely fun. Um, you know, I probably not the the best Kirby game I played, but it was enjoyable, and I I can appreciate for the time that it came out, and you know, the fact that um, Sakurai was 19 years old when he programmed it. I think that says a lot too. So I can respect it. Yeah, and you know what what you were saying about how it's you know fun, but not your favorite game. Like actually, kind of le- is a good lead into a conversation I wanted to have about this because I think this is the first time we've done an episode where, and this is part of why I thought this would be a fun episode to do is my nostalgia for this game definitely outweighs the quality of the game. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that to say like, Oh, this game's not good. Um, It it is. And I I think that it's, it's, it's got a lot going for it. However, it's also one that it's like, if it weren't for the nostalgia that I have for it, I don't think I would really care about it. And like having gone back and played it, like I said, a a lot, it's one that I play over and over again, just because I, you know, almost like out, out of habit or reflex, like, because I play this game a couple times a year, I just got to keep doing that. But yeah, like there's definitely a lot that it's lacking. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to say that's a hardware limitation. I think, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to cram a full console game onto a you know uh, a portable system in 1992 not on the game boy at least no and, and you're right it's a lot of hardware stuff i think it's also that you know some of the ideas just weren't necessarily quite there yet like i don't know if they even conceived of him stealing powers and whatnot yeah. but yeah. it's it's just the kind of thing where when when you really break it down it's a very vanilla game mm. and especially when you see where the franchise kind of goes. I mean, hell, even with Kirby's Dreamland 2, like they've changed a lot and made a lot of 
you know, updates and, you know, I'll say improvements, but, you know, changes at least. And going back to this one, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's got a lot going for it, but it's also, like I said, just very, very bare bones. And it's a little off-putting to, to some people as I've heard. And I think that that's completely justified. Um, And every time I do play it, I always do kind of feel like I wish there was just a little bit more to this, like either more length, more challenge, more abilities, more something. And because it always just feels a little flat and I'm willing to forgive that stuff because I do love it, you know, and have the nostalgia for it. But yeah, it's, I kind of wanted to have a little bit of a discussion about that with you to think like, if there are other games you can think of that kind of fall into that category of where your nostalgia kind of outweighs the actual quality of the game. Yeah, I would, I would definitely think there are probably titles like that. Um, But I want to go back and just kind of touch on something you said real quick about, you know, kind of wanting a little bit more out of this game. And it's kind of interesting because I tend to associate at least the early gen Game Boy games, I tend to associate those with like having a maximum of about four levels. And it's weird, but um, like if you break it down, like Super Mario Land, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Castlevania Adventure, um, Batman, I own Batman as well. Um, A lot of those games had about four levels and like that was about it. And so for that time, like for me, like that's just kind of something I always associated with the Game Boy was just like, okay, you're going to have like four levels and that's it. And Kirby's Dreamland has five, is it? Or six? Uh, well, you've got the the four main stages and then you go to King Dedede's Castle, which is... That's your boss rush level. So, okay, five. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of, again, in the same in the same vein, I guess, um, I'd say that, well, it's a, it's a short enough game that you could probably play it a couple of times, like, you know, on a car ride or something like that. So... I get it. I mean, as far as the the portable aspect of it and not wanting to have a game that's going to be like super time consuming. So like, you know, like you said, if you're, you know, going to a trip to your grandma's house or something like that, like this is something that you could, you could just knock out really quick, you know, or um, if you were just sitting on the toilet for 20 minutes or so, you can beat this game, you know, whatever. So um, I don't know. It's just, that's what I associate Game Boy games with is like four levels and 20 25 minutes of gameplay. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, there's and I know that later games have, you know, kind of gotten past that. It's just when I was kind of big into Game Boy, like that's just kind of that was my sort of impression of it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, there there's plenty of games that I think that I have nostalgia for that are not necessarily great games, but I enjoy them either because of maybe the the place I was at in my life when I played them originally, or I just enjoy them for what they are. Does that make sense? I don't know. Right. Like I know Pit Fighter is a terrible game, but I love playing Pit Fighter. <laughs> so I don't know. It just depends. Not the Super NES one, because that one's garbage, but like the, the Genesis version is pretty good. But like I played Pit Fighter in the arcade. Like whenever I saw it somewhere, I was like, oh I gotta play Pit Fighter, you know? And it's not good by any means. But yeah, I don't know. Everybody's got games like that, I guess. Sure. So, yeah, this one was just kind of interesting because it's so high profile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, especially looking back on it now because, you know, you see where the where the franchise has gone. But um, in 92, I don't know if I would have been able to say that this character would have had such a bright future ahead of him. Right. 
Yeah, I sure as hell didn't predict it. <laughs> but I think a lot of it has to do with the popularity of Smash Brothers. I think I think so. Um, you know, because if it wasn't for Smash Brothers, I didn't, I didn't play the 64 one, so I jumped in at the GameCube one. But if it wasn't for Smash Brothers Melee, I don't think a lot of people wouldn't have had that, you know, that urge to seek out the older titles. Um, and especially not for, you know, people that were fans of Fire Emblem. Uh, because that was kind of the first sort of, you know, our first sort of foray into like, what are these turn-based strategy games out of Japan, you know? And then on the Game Boy Advance, we'd get Fire Emblem and then kind of go on from there. So in a way, I kind of think Smash Brothers is is the one that sort of brought all of this back into the public eye. Yeah, and, and you're right, too, because obviously I had the original Kirby's Dream Land, you know, from childhood, but Kirby's Adventure... I was very aware of, but never, never got my hands on a cartridge. Um, yeah. I, w- I wasn't paying attention to NES at the time, which, you know, is too bad now because if I had a lot of those releases from 92 on, if I still had the boxes for them, I mean, you could retire. Yeah, I could retire easily. So, you know. um, but yeah, so Kirby's adventure is one that I was very aware of because that was a big title when it came out. But otherwise I think you're right until kind of, it wasn't until recent times that I started to even kind of pay attention to Kirby again, because I never bought Dreamland two. I never bought Dreamland three. I never bought any mm. of the others. Like it was something I was always aware of, but it wasn't something I continued to seek out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and it might be too. I mean, we skew a little bit older than a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the gamers that really grew up with these games, especially, uh, you know, anybody that came into the game boy, once Pokemon got big and maybe kind of went back and rediscovered Kirby games or maybe got them for Christmas or something like that. So I'm sure there's, there's other, other gamers out there that are really have a lot of strong nostalgia and probably played a lot of the Kirby games. But uh, you know, I think it could also be just, just our age too. You know? Sure. Yeah. A little bit. Um, okay. So we want to talk some tips and tricks briefly and then do sure. some final wrap up. Tips and tricks. Um, I didn't have a whole lot, and I didn't know what you would have either. Um, it's a pretty simple, straightforward game. There are a couple of secret entrances and um, hidden areas that you can find. Uh, specifically, there's a couple in um, Bubbly Clouds stage, which is the fourth stage, if you kind of look around. I'm not going to mm-hmm. spoil where they are, but look for those, and you can find them. There's a lot of hidden exits you know, while flying or stand still and just press up as if there was a door there and you'll find something. But um, the only ones that I really wanted to talk about, and I think we kind of hinted at at least one of them while talking about it is configuration mode and extra mode. Yeah. Which um, I think most people would know this about the game. And if you've, if you've beaten it, you learn about them or at least the first one, you beat the game in the regular mode. It tells you about extra mode. You beat the game in extra mode. It tells you about configuration mode, but uh, if you wanted to basically get this right out of the gate, if you're kind of not too interested in the game and want to give yourself an extra challenge, what extra mode does is it basically just kicks the challenge up, you know, significantly. Um, it replaces a lot of enemies. They kind of move faster, have different movement patterns. Um, everything does double damage. And there's a lot of things like the way the bosses move. It's It's a much, much more difficult way to play the game. And to to activate that, then basically on the title screen, press up, select, and A. 
and a little thing just just says extra mode comes up and then you just start the game like normal um configuration mode works very similarly it's kind of like a an option mode where when you pull that up it gives you the ability to change how much life kirby starts with um and changes a couple other things to the oh the total number of lives that you can get you can go between like one and nine Hmm. Uh, so it just it's it's a way to make it even more difficult if you wanted to um and it's activated very similarly you press you know b down and select on the title screen and it opens that one up so just a couple options there if people want to kind of change the game around and not too familiar with it and haven't played through it there's ways to do that yeah that was kind of cool too that um you know, you had those extra options and if you need to, but, um, you know, it's, it's not something that, that saves, you know, obviously there's no battery in the cart. So, um, if you know the code, you can get to it right offhand, but, uh, right. You know, if you finish the game and then turn it off, then you're going to have to enter the code again. So. Right. So yeah, did you come up with anything on this one? I know there's not a real, like really a lot to dig into. Um, I was just trying to think like some of the, the tips and tricks, but, um, you know, a lot of it just kind of depends on, recognizing the boss's patterns and uh, finding safe spots to hide. And, and that's mostly in the, uh, the hard mode. Mm-hmm. Obviously the, the normal mode, they're not really too much of a challenge, but um, the uh, like the cloud boss on the, the hard mode, you tend to, you have a safe spot kind of up in the upper left corner of the screen for the most part. Right. So, um, anytime that he drops the, like the little bombs, or tries to dive at you if you hide up there you're okay and then if you just drop down and he's about to drop the bombs you know you can swallow a bomb and then shoot it out at him as he's kind of landing back in the middle of the screen so that wasn't too bad but yeah all the bosses definitely have a pattern that you kind of just have to get used to um kabula the boss of the third stage is the kind of blimp with the cannon that's when you, you get the mint leaf right before you go in and really the best you can do is just bombard him with everything you've got like well, that, was, uh, that was a cool stage. I, I forgot to mention that, but um, the fact that it turns into a shoot 'em up yep. was cool for me because um, I like shoot 'em ups. But that was a, a neat little, uh, neat little touch. You know? Yeah, it made me think of Super Mario Land. You know, when you when you get in the plane, the submarine, and you mm-hmm. kind of shoot 'em up stage. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. You know. So. Alrighty. So my other, I guess my other tip would be, um, especially in hard mode, is just take your time. You know, it's not, there's no time limit. There's not a rush to clear the, the stage as fast as possible. But, um, you know, just, just watch out as you're, as you're going through the level because there's a lot more enemies that are added that either fly at you from the right side of the screen or come at you from underneath or, you know, so you have to really kind of be on your toes. Or from the top. Like if you think yeah. that, oh, yeah. I'll just fly through the whole stage. Like there are some that just suddenly dive from the top of the screen and hit you. So that doesn't work either. All righty. So all in all, would you call this a recommend, Wes? Yeah, I, I would. Um, you know, just kind of if you go into it, just knowing that this was the, the first Kirby game. So some of the, the mechanics that you might expect from the later games aren't quite there yet. But if you consider the hardware this is made for and the time that it was, you know, made, it, I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, and I, I've played it occasionally um, here and there, you know, over the last couple of years and it's just it's not one that I play a lot, but again, like you said, if, if you're on a time crunch a little bit and you want a game to just kind of uh, to run through really quick, you know, 20, 25 minutes is not a bad time investment at all. No. Yeah. And, and I'll echo all of that. I, you know, my nostalgia for it is really high, but, you know, I acknowledge its flaws 
and it's incredibly vanilla. There's not a whole lot to it, but one of the fun things about it is that it's just such a quick little playthrough. Like I, I played through the entire thing while waiting for a frozen pizza to cook the other night. And <laughs> that's, that's a great length for a game when you want to play something, you don't want to invest a whole lot, but you can play through the entire thing. And that, that's a satisfying feeling now and then. So I don't know just, why I'm, I'm just picturing you just like sitting cross-legged in front of your oven <laughs> with your Game Boy in your hand, like, you know, just occasionally looking up to, to see if this pizza is done yet. No, see, see, our oven has a timer, so I can do it from the other room. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> Either way, it still sounds kind of sad. <laughs> I don't know. It was a great night, so. Yeah. Don't judge me. I'm not. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, recommends from both of us. Go check it out. It's, it's a, pretty inexpensive, too. I think you can find carts of it for less than 10 bucks nowadays but uh yeah. yeah and it's it's on the 3ds virtual console as well which is cool yeah uh, that's true if you any other thing that's cool about the virtual console release if you have any of the game boy games on the 3ds it's kind of fun because um when you boot them up if you hold the select button um you'll you'll play the game with a uh, a game boy border so it's uh you know the the screen resolution is is a little bit smaller and it looks like you're playing on an original Game Boy, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and the, they have the other feature on there. So. What's that? I said the fact you can switch it between the black and white and the actual green screen is kind of cool. Right. Yeah, what's well, so you hold L and R or something and press yeah, Y and it'll... Y. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. pretty cool. So go go check it out. It's worth playing, especially if you never have before. So um, Yeah, it's not, it's not going to break the bank, so um, it's worth picking up. All right, so uh, we got another fun idea next week for our Graveyard Duck Challenge. Um, been having a good time with these the last month or so. But uh, yeah, Wes, you're on a roll. I'm kind of letting you just pick all of these. I did Excite Bike the first one. You picked Contra last time and did good. And you said you've got a missed list a mile long. So I'm going to let you keep rolling. So Yeah, absolutely. So Here's here's another one that's your idea. So go ahead and tell, yeah. tell the listeners yeah. what they got to do. So uh, this one is kind of... Um to sort of commemorate us talking about uh, Game Boy games on the show. Um, we're going to we're gonna go old school, and we're going to have a Tetris challenge. And uh, it's going to be the original Game Boy Tetris. And we're just looking to see um, on game A, uh, what's the most number of lines that you can clear? And uh, take a screenshot of your, uh, of your playthrough, whether it be on hardware, or emulator, or however you want to play, and post it to our Facebook group. And uh, let's let's see who can get the most number of lines on Game Boy Tetris Game A. So yeah, this will be fun. I I don't play Tetris a whole lot anymore, but I do still have my Tetris cart, and I'm excited to fire it up. And yeah, I played it occasionally, but uh, uh, I don't know. Incidentally, um, I think it would be really cool. And obviously, he's not part of the group, but uh, if if Steve Wozniak was uh, was in our group, I think he'd probably school us all because. And Scott, I don't know if you've ever read about this, but it's really interesting that the uh, co-founder of Apple is uh, a huge, huge, um, super good Tetris player. In fact, years and years ago, um, from what I understand, he would send his scores into Nintendo Power all the time. And at some point, they just they just stopped publishing them because he just sent so many of them in there. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Like, if I ever met Waz, like, I don't give a shit about Apple, but I want to talk to him about Tetris. That's funny. You know, so... Do you remember from like back when you played it again, like or b- back when you played it in the day, like how many lines you get? Like, wh- what do you what do you think 
prediction right out of the gate with what what score can you hit Wes um on average I usually on a good game probably about 100 so um on a bad game probably about 75 it just kind of depends so um and a lot of it too is is luck of the draw you know you might get 10 square pieces in a row you might get screwed but uh just kind of depends so yeah, I can't I remember. I, I, I feel like maybe I've hit 110, 114 in my life, but I can't really remember. So, well, this will be an interesting one. And Yeah, it'll be fun because, uh, you know, in Tetris, I still pick it up and play it once in a while. But, um, you know, there's there's other puzzle games I play a lot now, too. But uh, going back to the Game Boy Tetris is always fun, too, because I I still think that that's the best version. At least that's my favorite version. Yeah. Um, you know, just because of not only the music, but the gameplay, the portability. I mean, you know, it's about perfect. So it solidified the Game Boy like it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a universal game we could all play and we could all like. And it was the perfect package launch launch title for a handheld system. Yeah, yeah, definitely killer app. So uh, so yeah, so Tetris Challenge post a screenshot of uh, how many lines on game A and uh, we'll run that contest for about a week or so and i uh, hope you enjoy it yeah all right so stay tuned to facebook and twitter and all of that and um you know we're we're, we're looking for some more so- show suggestions too so um yeah absolutely we still have a couple more requests we have to get to as well so um i promise that we haven't forgotten about you um you know your your requests are coming up so but yeah. absolutely any other suggestions that you might have um you know please let us know or if you made a suggestion and you don't believe that we, you know, haven't forgotten you and you want to bitch us out like Wes, how would they do that? Well, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. Of course, uh, like we said, our Facebook group, uh, Graveyard Duck Podcast, um, you can join that group and, and bitch and moan at us. We're not guaranteed to listen, but, you know, at least you can voice your opinion. Um, also, we're on Twitter. If, uh, you know, you want to check us out there at Duck Graveyard, um, you can also send us a strongly worded email at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com yeah pretty much covers it we check all those pretty regularly there's lots of really good conversations lately at facebook so um yeah good times so all right i'm looking forward to playing some tetris and uh definitely looking forward to knowing what we're going to be doing next uh episode but um yeah it's uh you know i've got a couple ideas in mind but uh i i kind of like throwing a curveball every now and then so you might get something out of left field. So, is this a, like a baseball hint? Are we playing like RBI baseball? Maybe. I, mean, <laughs> I played major league baseball more than I played RBI back in the day, but uh, you know, neither of them compared to baseball stars. But I was gonna say maybe a bases loaded too would be my more my speed. But I did well. I did like um, baseball simulator uh, one thousand or whatever it was because you could play like you had that outer space level and like your your outfielders could fall into space. You ever played that one? No, I don't like, think so. Power ups and all these crazy different like you can do all these crazy power ups and stuff. It's kind of fun. I'm just thinking more base wars, you know, the the robots. Oh yeah, nothing beats that. <laughs> Maybe we did just pick our game. No, <laughs> I don't own it though. Need to. I never see it used, at least not locally. I don't know if I. I don't game. know if I have either. All right, this this is an off mic tangent. So anyway, uh, until next time, I'm Scott and I'm Wes. And just remember that um, the bag of magic food contains some pretty special food. Now, I can't tell you exactly what's inside, but if I pick one up, it'll completely restore my vitality. So that's what Kirby says, but I think we all know what's really in the bag of magic.
Game over.